You are now listening to the Q&E Podcast. Is this what you want? Huh? Is this what you want? I'm coming in again, What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Q&E Podcast, and you're here with your boy Q Hicks right now. And I got Edgar on the other line. Edgar, tell the people what's good. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Q&E Podcast. We got a lot coming for y'all, man. This huge, huge surprise of the Boston Celtics going up two shit on the Brooklyn Nets. That's probably the biggest NBA news that we're going to have out of uh, all these second and third games going on over the next couple of days. But we got that coming for y'all. Y'all know we got all the entertainment news and uh, anything else that comes up. It's Other than basketball, it's a pretty dry sports time right now. But this is like I got a lot. I got a lot of NFL topics to uh, talk about too. Debo Samuel requested out. Some other wide receivers are look like they want to be uh, on the trade market. So it's a it's a tricky situation. The draft is next week, so it's a, it's a fun time for a lot of these fans coming up. So we definitely going to touch a little bit on that as well. But it is mostly going to be NBA playoffs, and this shit is going to sound like a Celtics Nets after show, and we got to talk about it in depth because I seen some shit. That I've never seen before. And that was KD looking shook. He really looked shook for the first time in my life. The greatest score that I've ever seen, the greatest score of all time was shook. And it wasn't just a bad performance. It wasn't just an off game. Them fucking Boston Celtics was in his fucking chest. Jalen Brown and damn Jason Tatum had that boy scared to dribble. That was some shit I just did not see coming in this series. I knew they were going to play tough against him, but to have KD shook in the second game of the series is some shit I just was not expecting, bro. That shit was just crazy, bro. And I was thinking the same. I know Kyrie didn't have a good game either, but KD being the leader of this team, being the one who brought this team together in a sense and played a a part in picking Steve Nash as the coach, who did a terrible job, by the way. Steve Nash was spectating just like the rest of us. This man was not coaching this game at the hell off. But getting back to KD, I agree. KD looked shook. KD looked like he didn't know how to be the leader, especially in the last five minutes of the game. And it was just like, what what do we say at this point? The first game, okay, Kyrie took over. Y'all still lost, but Kyrie stole the show and KD was just, you know, on the back burner. And then in this game, KD's on the forefront and he still doesn't have a good game. And at what point are we going to start criticizing KD like we do other players? Like KD can't keep getting a pass, bro. Because I heard people from game one saying KD just had an off night. It ain't going to happen multiple times. He's like, don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I let it go. I was like, okay, it's game one. I understand. Jason Tatum won on, on some freak skill layup type shit. So I understood that. But this game being down 2 nothing, oh, no. We, we can't allow this. We can't call you the GOAT in the NBA right now. Like, we know Braun is the GOAT, but as far as who is the best player in the NBA, we can't call you that right now. And you down 2 nothing in the first round, and you've had two bad games back-to-back? No, bro. We, we got to criticize KD. We got to call him out on it. That shit is just so crazy to me. The person and the player that makes scoring look so easy, it just looked difficult, bro. It just looked difficult for KD. You can blame coaching, but you have to blame KD, bro. He was missing a lot of shots he could have made, but the right. Boston Celtics was in his chest. And I don't think he's ever 
been played so physical and played against players with the same type of physicality and size as him for long periods of time because Jason Tatum has the same wingspan, damn near the same size as you, so he's a good matchup against you. Jalen Brown is a little shorter at 6'7", but his wingspan is long as hell. He can keep up with you. And and back-to-back games in game one and game two, we've seen KD get his shot blocked multiple times, and we've never Mm -hmm. seen that before this series. So this Boston Celtics team is doing something different that has never been done to Kevin Durant before. And that's going to shift the entire series. Yeah, KD can get back on the right track. I'm assuming that he's going to get back on the right track. But damn, bro, we have to critique him. He's the reason they're down 2-0. We can't blame anybody else, bro. You can't blame Steve Nash. You can't say the role players because the role players actually showed up in game two. Exactly. Uh, Goran, Goran Dragic had like 18. Bruce Bryan had damn near 20. Seth Curry had damn near 20. The role players showed up. Kyrie had nine points or like uh, uh yeah, like 10 or 11. Teams. Yeah, 10 or 11 points. He didn't do anything and wasn't even involved in the offense late in the fourth quarter or in the fourth quarter period. And KD just looked shook the entire game too. The shit just looks different, bro. It just looks different. This isn't the Brooklyn team that we've seen in the regular season. But they didn't play this Boston Celtics team every 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 game either. So that's the that's the conundrum that they're looking at right now, bro. So that, that shit is crazy, bro. And Shout out to Boston. I got to give a lot of credit to Boston, though. I don't want to take away from them because they are the reason that KD is playing like this. And I was just going to say, like, everything we're saying right now to slight what KD has not done and what bought and um, what the Nets have not done, this isn't to take anything away from what Boston is doing. Marcus Smart playing his ass off. He proved to be defensive player of the year right now with the, with the way he's playing in the playoffs at the moment. And like you said, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown doing me impossible and locking up KD. I never thought I would put the words locked up and KD in the same sentence. Like, I, I never thought I would. So, congratulations to them being up 2 nothing. Y'all are going to Brooklyn now, though. So, y'all are on the road this time for game three and game four. So, I just want Boston to understand that. Don't be shook. The series if ain't y'all... over, bro. The series ain't over. That's that's. I about to say, don't I don't don't be shook if y'all realize y'all ain't getting the calls y'all been getting the last two games now, because all that physicality shit in Brooklyn, that shit finna get put to a stop. And the less you can touch KD, the more dangerous he is. And I'm glad you brought that up, bro, because that's gonna be a real a serious point when you go to Brooklyn. Because they've been getting away with a lot of physicality. Both ways, honestly, Brooklyn side and on Boston side, been getting away with a lot of physical play. That obviously we understand it's the playoffs, but this is more physical than even past playoffs, bro. Like, they grabbing, tugging, nothing being called. Like, this is really past, past playoffs that we have seen. And that's what I even noticed in game one. I told Mal, I was like, if they can just manhandle KD like they were doing in game one, it's going to be a tough series for him, bro. Like, they were under him the entire game. They were grabbing him when he tried to come off pin downs. Like, it was just tough to get off screens for KD, let alone get off shots. So, if it's going to be like that in Brooklyn, it's going to be some more trouble. But I think he will get more calls, but still more things have to go their way, bro. And that's what I'm starting to realize right now, bro, Like that it's more of a room for error with Boston than it is with the Nets. Even though the Nets have the, the two superstars over here, it's like with the Boston's defense and the scoring options that they have, they just have more room for error. They were down 17 in game two and came back. 
It wasn't like they were up the whole game like they were in game one. They came back on this team and just dominated the entire fourth quarter, defensively and offensively. So it's like wherever you look, wherever if it's a superstar going off or whether it's the Nets getting up in the, the first half, the Celtics find a way to pull out the game, bro. So they just have a way bigger margin for error. So yeah, and something Horford, I just didn't expect. Al Horford and Pritchard and all these other um good role players stepping up. And that's the thing about Boston. It's like they don't have great role players, but they have really good ones to complement the physicality that they have. So if you have just good enough role players and your superstars all clicking and you're playing physical, you're you're tough to beat at that point. And the Nets have to have an answer. And like I said with Steve Nash, he has to come up with a scheme defensively to make it to where somebody else has to beat you. The fact that Jalen Brown was making certain shots tonight that I'm like, damn, like he's very skilled, but there were certain shots. I'm like, no, he shouldn't have got off. Like it was this one crazy layup where he crossed in between like two people and just still made a layup on KD. I think I'm like, come on, bro. Like this can't happen. Like the Nets can't break down in the paint like that too easily. Marcus Smart making on fadeaways on three people. I'm like, come on. Like, there, there has to be an answer to this. So, Steve Nash, I think he he has to go to the drawing board and come up with some type of defensive scheme. He's not to going to, to any drawing board. Like, we got, we he, have to he, stop he, saying that not. shit, bro. He's not going to make adjustments. So, we, we, got, we have to stop saying that shit, period. He's not going to a drawing board. He's never coached. <laughs> He's never coached. He's never made adjustments mid-game. It's like they can continue to do some shit, and you can see the game plan not working, and it will not change. It will continue to just, just he won't call a timeout or anything. He won't call a time. He'll just keep going. He'll just keep running his face into a wall, bro. That's the type of mentality he has. It's like, bro, what are you doing? Like this game in particular, bro. It was like it was so many things that they could have done to get KD way easier looks. And for KD not to get swarmed every time he touched the ball. Like, they could have had ISOs on KD where they have all the four other players on one, uh, one side of the court and just KD on Tatum where he can just go one-on-one and doesn't have to worry about any help or anything like that. Like, those type of adjustments just weren't made. Like, his mind isn't on that. He just has KD and Kyrie at the top of the key and saying, make a play. Nine times out of ten, most of the time, that works. But in the playoffs, when you see that it's not going to work, you have to adjust. So that should have been an adjustment. KD and Kyrie pick and roll should be more in effect. More movement from the role players should be in effect. Those role players were just standing still when KD at the top of the key. It's like, obviously, people are going to lock in on KD. He has five eyes on him, bro, or five players' eyes set on him, bro. Obviously, it's going to be tough to get shots off. So it's just a lot on Brooklyn's side that is going wrong. Once again, shout out to the Boston Celtics, but Brooklyn, ugh. Definitely didn't look how I expected, bro. And it's, definitely, definitely. It, it's just funny to me because KD and Kyrie had a big say in hiring Steve Nash as the coach. And what was the main problem I had when he got hired? They came out publicly and said, we don't look at him as a coach. And I kept telling people, you cannot say that. Like, you just can't, bro. Even if we know it's true, you can't come out to the media and say, KD could be the coach one day. I could be the coach one day. Like, we don't really look at him as a coach. The man, this is his first head coaching opportunity. And the first thing you say is we don't even really look at him as a coach. Like, that puts into perspective everything we're seeing now with him not really coaching a game at all. Like, it, it just doesn't help Steve Nash's case 
for them to have that look of him and him not coach well at the same time. So I, I don't know. It, it's a messed up situation, but this is a situation where KD, like you said, he has to put it on his so- shoulders and just be the best player on the floor and carry this team through round and one. And we've seen him do it before. We've seen him do it before. We've seen him do it before. We've seen him do it last year where he almost beat the Bucks single-handedly. Like We've seen KD go to extraordinary lengths to get his team in positions to win, but he just didn't play against dogs like this, bro, where they in your chest and they hungry, bro. Even this Bucks team from last year wasn't this hungry, bro. Chris Middleton wasn't in your chest like this. Drew Holiday wasn't in your chest like this, bro. But Jason Tatum, who has similar sizes in your chest and blocking your shots. Jalen Brown, who has similar sizes in your chest and blocking your shots. Even Grant Williams is in your grill and stealing the ball from you. It's like everybody is in KD's shit, bro. So it's on KD to step up into a judge and say, I have to, I have to be better. This 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 moment honestly reminds me of the time when it was with KD was with the Warriors. And I think Pat Bev had ended up like slowing them down. And Pat Bev was talking mad shit. And that was the game when KD said. I'm Kevin fucking Durant. That's the type of mindset he has to have in game three in the rest of this series, bro. I'm fucking Kevin Durant. Nobody's going to stop me. He has to run the fucking team, bro. If Steve Nash ain't going to coach you, Kevin Durant, you have a basketball mind, bro. You're a basketball savant. You run the fucking plays. Tell everybody to clear the fuck out. Give me this side. Everybody else on the other side of the fucking court, and I'm going to get a fucking bucket. That should be the mentality from KD, bro. I don't want to hear no excuses from KD, bro. It needs to be a I'm Kevin Durant speech after that. It needs to be a I'm Kevin Durant. I want another one of those, KD. This is the moment. This is going to be the turning point. And I hope that's what he says in the press conference. Like, I hope he's upset. I hope he understands what's at stake right now because I tweeted it. If I don't see any talk shows tomorrow on KD head, I'm going to have an issue because let this be Braun. Let At 37 years old, let LeBron at 37 years old Granted, he ain't in the playoffs right now, but let him be in the playoffs right now as the AC, but you're favorited to still be a finals contender, and you're down 2-0, and you have two bad back-to-back games? Oh, yeah. It's an uproar. It's a whole uproar right now, Braun down 2-0 in the first round. So I, And it's so funny because he had, he had bad games in both games. And they were still in position to win, both of them. So it shows you that he has enough, but his struggling is really making it hard to overcome everything that Boston is throwing at them, bro. So it's like, if you're not playing well and Kyrie not playing well, but we still only down by five, it's like, that shit hockey a blessing, but y'all not helping the cause if none of y'all are going to take over late in the fourth. Like, come on, bro. Y'all role players hockey carry y'all. And nobody's going to talk about that tomorrow. I know nobody's no, going to talk about that. But the role players car- carried them in game two. And it, it was for nothing at this point. It was for nothing. Like, so y'all got to tighten up in game three. But once again, I got to keep saying, shout out to the fucking Celtics. Ime Udoka in his game plan is locking KD down. And we have never seen that before. I don't care what situation you bring up. I don't care if you talk about OKC and what happened with Russ. KD never looked like this in his career before, bro. Never looked that uncomfortable. He didn't even want to put the ball on the floor, bro. He never looked that uncomfortable before. It's no other comparison. It's no other one, bro. I've seen KD his I entire agree. career. There's no other one, bro. That, that shit was just crazy, it's dog. First time for everything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I thought it was never going to come, and here we are, bro. Here we are. What is this? What, what year is this, KD? Year 14? 
Damn, good question. Yeah. He came out of 08. Came out of 08. Yeah, that's 14. Well, 13 technically because it's 2021 season. Oh, facts, facts, facts. Damn, 13 years before he really got – damn. He got to bounce back, bro. We can't see KD go out like that, bro. Because once again, this is going to high-key knock him down some all-time ranks. You losing in the first round like this? That's going to knock him down some all-time ranks, bro. I'm, I'm telling you, that's going to knock him down. Because you still in your prime, KD. I don't want to yeah. hear that. You get KD is at the age where he can say, I'm getting older. And I'm, nah, you're definitely still in your prime to get at least two to three chips if you really wanted to. So yeah. all that, all that, I'm too old. Ain't time for that for KD yet. And it's hockey looking like we're seeing a passing of the torch right in front of our eyes. But I think a lot of fans don't want to acknowledge it. Like we're seeing a passing of the torch of like who's going to be next when KD is gone or who might already be the best scorer in this league when we're looking at Jason Tatum. Like we might already be seeing that and we might be seeing the the emergence of one of the best two-way players in basketball and Jason Tatum right in front of our eyes. Like we have to see that clearly now, bro. He's go- he's clamping KD and then getting a bucket on him on the other end. Like we have to talk about it. He's top 10. For, he's a certified top 10. I'm not even arguing that shit no more. He's certified top oh, yeah. 10. He's certified top 10, but he's moving up the ranks every game. He does what he's doing right now, bro. So, yeah, man, this, this shit is crazy, bro. This shit is crazy. But uh, we still got other games to talk about. So <laughs> let's move on to the let's move on to the next one. An exciting matchup that we've been getting over the past week is the battle of the future between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. Jaw versus Anthony Edwards and Cat, and it's been a fun matchup. Edgar, what's been your biggest takeaway from the first couple of games? The more the more the Timberwolves win, the more we're gonna get Pat Beverly. I need everybody to understand that he has to be stopped at all costs. But uh, but no, nah, seriously though, like I I love this matchup. I love the join that uh Ant and um Jaw be doing to each other during the game. The fact that Cat um Dad and John Morant Dad they beefing on the sideline, but they cool at the same time. This is just a good feel series that you can't be mad at whoever wins this series both teams are playing with ferocity both teams are playing with intensity and it can really go either way I don't think either team has a clear-cut advantage I I think both of them have enough bench to help with the second unit so it's not like it's star dependent for either of these teams and I I just think it's going to be a good series either way Man, this this is this is going seven. Like I said last week, this is going seven, and I knew it was going to be like this. Even though the Grizzlies came out in game two and just smacked the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves just didn't look ready to play at all, and that could high-key be a product of being a young team, not being used to being in this position, don't know how to bounce back off of a great win in game one. I think that was a byproduct of that. Maybe we see, like, the real Timberwolves when they're at home in game three, but I think the real game one Timberwolves are the Timberwolves that we're going to get for most of this series. Maybe that smacking in game two really gets them right. But I've been most excited to talk about Anthony Edwards, bro, because I said it last week. I don't know how many players I would pick above him when it came to potential, and game one really showed me a lot, man, because even in game one, he showed you his defensive skills once again because he was guarding Ja, and he wasn't just guarding him to guard him. He was locking him down late in that fourth quarter in game one. Like I said, in game two, Ja was getting loose, so, hey, can't say anything about that. But it showed me his potential once again in Anthony Edwards, bro. 
He's going to be one of the best players in this league, hands down. Michael Jordan comparisons and all that. Anthony Edwards is going to get there, bro. And I think this is going to be the battle of the future, man. When we talk about future faces of the league, potentially, Ja and Ant-Man both going to be in that conversation of who might be up there, bro. I think the Timberwolves are on the rise and Memphis is on the rise as well. But a question I asked yesterday was, for the next five years, who would you rather have, Ja Morant or Anthony Edwards? And on Instagram, at high key was going back and forth for a long uh, time when I put out the poll. But who would you have between those two for the next five years? I would say Ja, just because I've seen him be more of a culture figure for his team than I have with Anthony Edwards at the moment. Not saying he can't be, but I don't. I don't know. I just don't get the same culture feel. Maybe it's because he's in Minnesota as opposed to Memphis. But Ja has really changed the culture of Memphis basketball. Like when it comes to the way the social media team just I feel like the the Memphis Grizzlies have the best social media team of all sports teams across all leagues right now. And I think when you talk about that, the way fans and um, announcers just try to emulate the the players on Memphis, emulate John Morant, the way he just is such an electrifying player. I would go with Jaw for the culture and the impact that he has on the game. But Anthony Edwards could get there, but I've seen it with Jaw already, so I got to go with him. I would go with Anthony Edwards, bro, because just based on his build and his archetype, I think he is more so built to have more playoff success down the line. Even with somebody like a cat, I think he's built for it. Because the more he gets accustomed to this game, the better his defense gets. I think he only averaged like 21, only averaged 21 (laughs) this year. But he's going to jump up to like 28 next year. I think the third year for a lot of these top rookies is really the year that we really see them ascend to be one of the top players in the NBA. And I think next year is going to be a big year for him. And that's when more people are going to start having these conversations about Anthony Edwards. I think he's more so lower on a lot of people's under 25 list. But I think next year is going to be a big, uh, big year for him. I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. I think he's going to average like 28. Defense going to be improved. And like I said, I think his his build is going to get you further in the playoffs. And I do think he is a culture changer. Before he got there, the culture of that Minnesota Timberwolves team was ass. He brought a lot of energy to that locker room and high key turned them around when you talk about winning as well. They were in 10th last year when you talk about almost making the, the play in, almost making the playoffs. And it was high key because of him, his jovial nature. Cat been there for five years and it's been the same Timberwolves team since Kevin Garnett left. Yes, Cat right. is a talented player, but it doesn't transition or translate to wins. Anthony Edwards' game translated to wins last season. We just seen it on a more grand scale this year. Is it to the extent like a John Morant? Not yet, but I think we're already seeing the culture-changing ability that he can have. So I'm seeing the, the culture-changing in John Morant, not John Morant, but in Anthony Edwards right now, and I will pick him for the next five years over a John Morant. I really would. And moving on to the next series, I wanted to talk about the – Mavericks and the Utah Jazz series because now that is tied at 1-1. The Jazz really had a close game in um, the first game. They ended up pulling it out, and Jalen Brunson really saved the Mavs in game two. And games, they're really not supposed to be winning because, as you guys all know, Luka Doncic is out. But the Jazz just looked like the Jazz. 
They don't get respected. Nobody cares about them. Y'all have the quote-unquote defensive player of the year of the past three, four years, and nobody respects him. Like, Jalen Brunson was attacking him multiple times in game two. He wasn't blocking any shots. Let, let me digress. Let me digress. But I wanted to ask you this question, bro, because you brought up the point last week of, oh, should Donovan Mitchell have any pressure on him because everybody's asking, oh, he should get out of town. Utah isn't good enough. But in a position where they should obviously win the series with Luka Doncic not playing in the first couple of games, the pressure is at least on him to get to the second round, you would think. So would losing to the Mavs be a bad look for Donovan Mitchell? And would it hurt his reputation? As I also want to add in this point as well, of I was talking to Mo yesterday about Donovan Mitchell, of him possibly coming to the Heat. And Mo said he don't want Donovan Mitchell because he doesn't think he can be a number one on a championship team. And with the Jazz coming up short in the past three years, I'm like, is is that true statement? Is that is this going to just add to it if he loses to the Jet? Uh, if he loses to the Mavs with no Luca? I I disagree. I think well with the last point, I disagree. I think Donovan Mitchell can be a number one option on a championship team, and it may not be every single game. He may be a player where Bam, like let's say he is on the Heat, Bam might be the number one player for a couple of games, and then Donovan Mitchell will be the number one player for the next couple of games. It's kind of like um just to like who's the first people like think of braun and wade we know braun was the number one player majority of those games in any playoff series or championship series they had but there were nights where d wade was clearly the number one option you go to and i think that's the pivotal role donovan mitchell can have on a championship contender team so i would disagree with mo and saying he can't be i think donovan mitchell most certainly can but the the way I can understand him saying he doesn't want Donovan Mitchell on the team is if you can't keep the heart in a situation we know you don't really want to be in because y'all clearly keep letting everybody down. If you can't keep the heart in this team to at least make it out of the first round, we don't even want you here where we're trying to like really keep from trying to rebuild and we're trying to still continue to fight to get to the finals, you know? So if you can't continue to show heart in a situation where we know you want to get out of, how can we expect you to keep heart in a situation where you don't even know how it's going to go once you get there? And Lillard continues to show the Portland Trailblazers nothing but love every single season. He knows nine times out of ten, just like the rest of us, it probably ain't going to amount to shit, but he gives every single game 110%, and he tries to make sure he can win every series possible if he makes the playoffs. So Donovan Mitchell needs to have that same energy and there's pressure on him in that sense that, yes, you do need to get to the second round. Do I think pressure top three in the playoffs right now? Is he a top three pressured player? No. But as far as getting to the second round, yeah, there's pressure on him for that. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to let us know how hard you're willing to play or how hard you're not willing to play if you're in a situation you're uncomfortable with. I'm not questioning his effort. I think this this series will determine how people feel about a Donovan Mitchell moving forward. What he can at least be, because we understand your situation, but we know what the, the Mavericks got too, and we know that they don't got Luka. If you can't lift your team and overcome that situation to get to the second round, that's going to hurt you, bro. Teams like Miami going to be like, damn, is he really the guy to really lift us up to a championship contender? If he can't really get to the Jazz... With no Luka, he, they can't beat that team. 
Like, I don't want you on my team if you're not going to list us to a championship. I ain't trading Hero, Duncan, whatever else we might have to trade, picks and all that. If you're not going to lift us higher than what they're already giving us in terms of production. So that's what I think Mo was getting at. And I have to agree with him in this sense. This series is going to determine a lot with Donovan Mitchell. I think the first couple of games have been really up and down. He's had some, some quarters where he's scoring 19 in a quarter, but a lot of quarters he's really just going with the flow, coasting through it. But we have to see him being aggressive in these type of matchups, bro. We have to see him, like, going out with all cylinders, bro. If this going to be your last year where Utah, you need to be going out shooting, bro. Guns blazing, bro. I don't want to see you just coasting and, oh, I want to go off one quarter. Like, you got to continuously go at all times because you, you can't lose to the Mavs, bro. You can't lose a series to the Mavs. I understand one game or a couple of games without, the, without Luka, but come on, bro. You got to win this series, bro. If you're going to... Uh, become a heat in a, a couple of months or whatever you have to win this series bro and just to keep his draft stock high or not draft stock his trade stock high like whoever he gets traded to or whoever he decides to walk i'm gonna tell your ass whatever. to go to the knicks hey i'm gonna send your ass to the knicks myself i don't even want to I'm in miami i'm gonna send you to new york nigga i'm gonna send you I'm to new york say, <laughs> he gonna end up in there a situation <laughs> gonna end up and go to a situation worse than where he already is with the Jazz because if you if you wet the bed against the Mavs with seventy five percent of the games without Luca, like your your trade or your free agency value is gonna drop. Like it's not gonna be the level you think, and then that's ultimately not gonna get you the amount of money you want, and you're probably gonna end up on a team that ain't have no better chance than the Jazz. But if you want to keep that high, Donovan Mitchell. You have to do like Quincy said and just play all cylinders every single game, every single quarter for the rest of this playoffs. Has to, bro. But once again, I want to give a huge shout out to Jalen Brunson. He had 41 points in game two. I told y'all last week, I don't watch a lot of Mavs basketball. I know Luca be snapping over there, but I really don't like watching this game too much. But I know Jalen Brunson is a bucket getter. I've been watching him since Villanova. I already knew he was a bucket. But for him to be dominating, controlling a game against a good or a solid enough Utah team was very impressive to me. And it just showed me that he is going to get a bag this summer. He is a free agent, and whoever gets him is going to pay upwards of $20 million. If he's having these type of performances in high-level playoff games, somebody finna throw him the bag. The Knicks might even throw him a bag, throw him about <laughs> $20 mil so they can finally get a point guard. But Jalen Brunson showed me a lot in that game to Utah. So I'm definitely excited to see him for the rest of this series if they continue to play without Luka. And another thing, I want to talk about Luka specifically because I see a lot of information coming out that says, oh, that he might be coming, out, coming back around game four, game five. I just want Luka to take his time, bro. I don't want him to come back and risk uh, even more severe injury, messing around with a calf strain. A lot of calf strains are connected to the Achilles, and those end up in tears. I don't want him to rush back just to get hurt, and it, it becomes something more severe, and you're out for a longer period of time because that just hurts your long-term value, and it hurts your team in the long term. I just want – if he don't play for the rest of the playoffs, I'll be fine, bro, as long as you come back next year and are healthy, bro. I would rather see that than you try to rush yourself back and get a more severe injury. I don't want Luca to rush himself back. Is what I, that's what I, the point I wanted to make, bro. Because I'm hearing a lot of reports. Oh, he's trying to get back as soon as possible. Those are calf strains, bro. Really tricky. We seen Kevin Durant with that calf strain. Y'all remember in 2019 when yep, he tried to play in the popped. finals with that shit popped mid game in the finals because they tried to rush him back and they did rush him back when he was not ready. 
and he wasn't ready personally. So he, Luka Doncic, Doncic has to take his time, bro, because that's a tricky injury, bro. That's that's one thing I just wanted to say. And, and don't even bro. worry about doing the whole minutes restriction. You know, if you come back, you don't necessarily have to start. And it's that like, no, just just don't come back until you are 100% healthy. Because like Quincy said, like, it's no point. It, it's really no point. The Mavs weren't on anybody's radar when it comes to um, finals competition this year or anything. We were just looking for a solid playoff performance because they weren't our first, second, or even third pick to get to the uh, finals out of the West. Exactly, bro. Just retool for next year and hope for the best, bro. But definitely don't risk your injury, especially when you see what happened. to, And that's what blows me even more because us as NBA fans, especially Dallas fans in the moment, they seen what happened to KD a few years ago. And they still like, oh, I want Luka to come back. Oh, I wish Luka come back. Oh, in a couple of games, da, 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 da. It's like, bro, didn't y'all just see what happened to KD with this calf strain shit? Y'all see how this shit can really become something way more severe? And didn't Katie sit out two years because of this? Or was it like a year and a half? Didn't he uh, sit out two years? Because he missed a whole... 19. Did he miss two he years? He sat out about a year and a half. It wasn't two years. Okay, it was a Clay year Clay was half. like okay. two years. Clay, Clay was, like was two years. years. That's what I'm tripping. Clay yeah. was two years. And he was a year and a half. Katie was a year and a half. So that's what I'm thinking about. But yeah, bro, I, I just wouldn't risk it, bro. I wouldn't risk it. Take your time, Luca. Take your time. Moving on to the next series. Wanted to talk about the 76ers the Miami Heat, and the Golden State Warriors. Just wanted to talk about them all in one discussion because all of them have been dominant. I think the 76ers are in the middle of game three right now, and they're currently in overtime, so don't know how that game is turning out. But the first two games for the Heat and the Warriors have been dominant. The Warriors are just killing the Nikola Jokic. Draymond shutting all that shit down, been blowing them <laughs> out. And we're seeing something way more scarier with the Warriors than we've seen in past years, bro. We haven't seen this type of Warriors explosiveness. And we've seen explosive Warriors teams with Kevin Durant. But this type of explosiveness, I don't know if it's come together like this with the emergence of Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole was snapping the whole regular season, but we really didn't see them all play together when you talk about Draymond, when you talk about Clay, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Stephen Curry. But we all, we're all seeing them right now play together in lineups. And when they play together, bro, that shit is explosive. And I don't know who the fuck is stopping that shit if Jordan Poole is going to continue to play like this. Like, he's been the leading scorer. I know Steph has been coming off the bench, but Jordan Poole has been playing out of his mind, bro. And I told Vash, I told Vash, like, about three, four days ago. I Well, I didn't tell him. I tweeted it. I said, the Warriors are going all the way. Like, I seen in game one against the Nuggets. Like, the Warriors are going all the way. Based off of everything you just said of how explosive and just how cohesive they look right now, like, we we haven't seen this fluid of a Warriors offense since, like, that 2015-2016 time. Like, and that's scary, bro. Like, that's that's a full arsenal. And, Vash and it's even better me, than that. That's the funny thing. It's better than that. <laughs> and, and Vash was telling me, bro, it's game one versus the Nuggets calm down. I'm like, all right, okay. Okay, just watch. When they get to round two and then possibly the conference finals, everybody's going to be like, yeah, it's the Warriors. It's the Warriors. And I'm telling y'all right now, they're showing y'all against the Nuggets. They, they're back. The Warriors are not going anywhere anytime soon. They're still here. 
Okay, so we just got a final with the 76ers game. It looked like Joel Embiid hit a game winner to uh, uh, take the Sixers over the Raptors. So they're up 3-0. Once again, they have been dominating in their series as well. So it looks like they're moving on to the next round. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is somebody I want to talk about with that matchup because he's really, I think he should have been most improved this year. I see he wasn't even in the finalists, which is crazy. We should talk about that shit too because the most improved finalist was was a wild list in my opinion. But Tyrese Maxey, his emergence could really turn things around for the expectations for the 76ers team because everybody knew what they were going to get out of an Embiid. You, you kind of knew what you were going to get with a Harden, but nobody really knew what you were going to get out of Tyrese Maxey in a playoff game. And when we see him in game one really go off for 38, and then in game two he had a nice 20 like. We're seeing a consistency with the uh, Tyrese Maxey coming into playoff time where it's like, damn, if he playing like this, like maybe we could see the 76ers make some noise in the playoffs more than a lot of people are expecting. So what do you think about the 76ers? What do you think their ceiling is? I think their ceiling is, as far as this season, I would say conference finals. Uh, I don't see them winning the uh, the final. If they win the conference finals and they get to the finals, I don't see them winning at all. But they they have the opportunity to be the team that represents the East in the NBA Finals this year with Tyrese Maxey playing the way he's playing and Joel Embiid just being the dominant MVP presence that he is. And it's funny because we had a lot of questions about James Harden, and it looks like James Harden doesn't even matter at this point, like whether he plays good or not. It's the it, Raptors, that, bro. It's the Raptors. Calm down. He it, matters. It is, it's just the Raptors. It, it It is just the Raptors, but the fact that the entire game, um, not game one, the entire first-round series is like we didn't have to worry about James Harden at all. That just goes to the point of how much Tyrese Maxey relieves a load that James Harden does not have to worry about. The fact that James Harden didn't have to go through any scrutiny or any um eyeballs or anything in the whole first round, that says a lot, bro. And if this carries over into the second round, it's like, damn, are we going to forget about Harden as the second option if this is what we're going to get out of Tyrese Maxey every game? That's going to be a big question, bro, I'm telling you. I thought I thought the same thing, bro. I thought the same thing. Then I had to pause myself. I had to pause myself and say, hey, it's still James Harden at the end of the day, bro. James but Harden still has to be your tapping like this every game, bro. James Harden, no, we can't let James Harden sit Tyrese Maxey ass down and Maxey has no reason to get sat down. No, Maxey can no. be on the court, but I'm saying like James Harden has to be the one to lift your team up alongside Joel Embiid. But if you're un- if you're not needed, then you you just can't do that. Oh, he's going to be needed. That's why I'm saying like we we can't be fooled by this series. That's <laughs> I don't want us to be fooled by this series. Tyrese Maxey is yes snapping, and he most likely will get off against the Heat most likely next round. But we cannot just push James Harden to the background because this Raptors team is hurt. They're decimated with injury. Scotty Barnes has not been playing. So yeah, James Harden can hockey get pushed in the back in this series. He's not needed as much. But when you play against the Heat team. And the way they're playing defense right now, oh, you need to be playing at all cylinders in that matchup, buddy boy. You need to be playing at all cylinders. So he is going to be needed. He is going to have to be the number two guy. If he's uh, the third option in that series, if he has to be pushed to the back, they're not winning games. That's That's what I should say. They're not going to win games if he is the third option on that team. That's what I should say. That that makes more sense. Tyrese Maxey cannot be your second scorer, bro. 
I think he can lift you in certain matchups. I think he can lift you in a game or two. But he's not going to win you a series like an Embiid and like a Harden can. He's not going to win you a series, bro. A Tyrese Maxey game is only one game. Like, you got to you gotta win three more. So I think Harden and Embiid have to be the catalyst in that game, bro. He can't be pushed to the side. I, I had the same thought, though, of maybe Tyrese Maxey can do it. But no, it has to be Harden. It has to be Harden, bro. Because we're kind of seeing it right now. Matchups. It all depends yeah. on the matchups with the Heat, bro. If the Heat come out slipping... If Tyrese Maxey get damn near a 40 piece, I'm looking like, yeah, James Harden, the third option at this point. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I'm telling you right hey, now. James Harden, the third versus, option, so he can duck that smoke. If game one versus the Heat, if Tyrese Maxey has a much better game than James Harden, I'm putting James Harden on the back burner. And it ain't even a question. Nah, bro, I can't. Because I've seen, I've seen Maxey have good games against the Heat, so I'm not saying he's not going to have good games, but you need your stars to play like stars in, in matchups True. like that. So I think James Harden will have to be the one. I'm not saying that Maxey won't get off, but they're not going to win a series off Maxey and Embiid back. It needs to be Maxey and Embiid. Or not Max and B, but it needs to be Harden and B to win that series against Miami, bro. Because moving on to the to the next team we need to talk about is the goddamn Miami Heat, goddamn it. Because I'm gonna talk my shit. I'm gonna talk my shit, and the first thing I'm gonna say is that Jimmy Buckets is back. I have not seen this Jimmy Buckets. It took in a you long, long enough. It took hey, Jimmy I have not long seen enough. this. Hey, bro. I had I held it in for so long. I tried to get some uh, some more important topics out of the way, but I'm gonna talk my shit. Jimmy buckets, even though I've been doubting him, even though I had him on the trade block at one point this season, <laughs> he's back. He's back, and I'm seeing the Jimmy buckets that I know and love. This is the Jimmy buckets I know and love, where he don't give a fuck about anything else other than playing defense and getting a bucket. What have we been saying this whole year, bro? He tries to be like Draymond too much, where he tries to get everybody involved, and he don't worry about getting a bucket. That needs to be his forefront mentality. And we're seeing in the first two games of the playoffs, that's his mentality. We're seeing 45 points in game two, like three assists. That's what I like, Jimmy. I don't give a damn about your assist numbers, nigga. I want you to be getting buckets. We're seeing Jimmy hit three-pointers and shit. Like, I don't remember the last time I seen Jimmy consistently hit threes in a long time. I don't even think I don't even think he was shooting like this in the bubble. Like we're seeing an even better Bulls. Jimmy. Yeah, this was like this is Chicago Bulls, Jimmy, that we high key seeing right now, bro. With him consistently making threes. I don't want to speak too soon, but I'm just happy to see what I'm seeing out of Jimmy. Is is lifting my confidence in this Heat team if he's going to continue to play like this. Coming into the postseason, I was like, I don't know what we're gonna get with Jimmy. It's a lot of pressure on him to step up to the plate. But he must have been hearing that shit and saying, hey, nigga, I'm going to come up. I'm, 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 I'm here. And, oh, I was listening to Nick Wright. I, just, I ain't listened to Nick Wright in a long time. But he had ended up bringing, a, a, bringing up a good point. He's like, he was like, some players are 82-game players and other players are 16-game players, meaning they are playoff performers. I know that last season was a bad playoffs for Jimmy. But when you think about three of the last four playoffs, Jimmy has been snapping, bro. When you talk about that Philly series, he almost carried them to the conference finals off of his back. You talk about the year after that, he carried to Miami. He had Miami to a finals. And then last year was trash. I'm not going to absolve him from that. But this year, we see him on a tear to start off the playoffs. So we're seeing Jimmy on a high level in the playoffs. That He's really a playoff performer. Does he coast throughout the regular season? Yeah. But in the playoffs, he usually plays at a high level. And I love what I'm seeing. 
I agree. And what are your thoughts on the uh, Atlanta Hawks right now? Because I, I know you said you expected this series, you expected the Heat to win, of course, but you were definitely more afraid of Atlanta than the, the other team that it could have been. So what is your take on that. Atlanta right now? <laughs> I just thought when we played against the, 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 the Cavs, I thought we were going to beat the Cavs in four. I was like, Trey is going to steal a game, so it's going to be Trey and the Hawks. Maybe we're going to beat them in five. But I'm not really scared of them no more because they don't have Capella, so we're really beating, up on, beating them up on the glass. This isn't a fully healthy Hawks team that we're looking at, so you got to shoot them that bell. But I still, even if they were fully healthy, I'm, nah, I think the Heat still would have got them out of there because we've seen them so many times this season. It's not like we're seeing Trey Young for the first time or this is the third time we played them, boys. Like right. We've seen Trey Young. That was... Yesterday was the seventh time we played them this year. Like, so we know what the hell Trey got going on, bro. And that's why the first two games, Trey has struggled. Will Trey get off in one of these next few games? Probably. But I'm saying that he mostly have the blueprint when it comes to Trey Young. Really corral him. Gabe Vincent has been playing excellent defense. They're really being physical with him. Kyle Lowry is really getting under him. So we really got the blueprint for a, a, a Trey Young type of matchup. So I wasn't really surprise when I, I seen how the first two games ended up turning out i was scared at the end of game two because bogdan bogdanovich was off a of bean last night almost came <laughs> back on our ass he had like 20 in the fourth he was the reason they were in the game but other than that it's like we, we should get this team out of here in five like i said i'm gonna give trey one game because one of these games he's gonna end up snapping true yeah but this just isn't the year for the for the for the for the uh what am I talking about? The Hawks. This isn't this isn't the year for the Hawks. And I expected this shit. Damn, I, I swear I said this shit when Black was on the pod last year after they went to the conference finals. I said, when it comes to young teams, you usually see a you regression. Did say this. You yeah, usually you see that. a regression with young teams. It's nearly it's really not up, up, up for them. It's usually a process of oh, we overachieve and then it's back down because teams Same are with the Knicks. Yeah, like <laughs> we Knicks see you coming now, bro. We're not, you're not sneaking up on us anymore. Like, y'all snuck up and beat the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round because Trey Young was getting loose. Y'all almost beat the Bucks in the damn conference finals. Y'all did that because nobody was expecting that. Everybody was like, oh, y'all the same old Hawks from the past couple of years, and y'all proved their ass wrong. But when a lot of teams game plan and know that y'all for real now, oh, this is a different series. Oh, this is a different uh, mentality and a different game plan going into the game. So it's taking these matchups way more seriously. That's why I knew it was going to be a regression with the Hawks, man. But I'm just proud of my heat right now. And we're winning games, Haki, and in a, a like hero. And Bam has not played good in these first two games. To me, defensively, we know what we're gonna get, but offensively, we're not seeing good Bam. So we're beating the Hawks, and we're not even really playing good all around. It's really just been the heroics of Jimmy Butler just right. putting us over the top for us. So I would like to see Bam really get his rhythm before we have to go up against somebody like an Embiid, where it's gonna be a, a frustrating matchup for Bam. I would like to see other people like a, a hero catch their rhythm before we see the more uh, high-level teams in the Eastern Conference. But, man, shout-out to Jimmy Butler, man. I, I was happy to hell to see that. Did you see that damn fadeaway three-point shot for yes, the game, bro. Dagger? Come on, bro. Come on, dog. Come on, dog. That's a different Jimmy right there, bro. That's that's Bulls Jimmy right there, bro. That's Bulls for real. Jimmy. I love what no I see. No cut, Jimmy. No yeah, Jimmy, yeah. I love what I see right there, bro. I love what oh, I see, shit. man. Shout out to my man, Jimmy. Moving on to the next. We got two more left, and it is the Pelicans versus the Suns. Another huge storyline we have to talk about is Shouldn't Devin even Booker. Be one. God damn, bro. What do you mean shouldn't, shouldn't even... be one? 
The Pelicans should not have a damn win. This shit should be 2-0 right now. I'm mad as hell about that. that Even that bigger ref, than that. No, it's that ref. That's what it is. Chris Paul, Chris Paul has lost 14 consecutive games with this man calling the game, bro. This man cannot call another Suns game. He just can't. Because every time it happens, they're going to lose. If the Pelicans win two games in this series, I'm going to be pissed. They should have got swept, and now it's supposed to be a gentleman's sweep. I'm going to be mad if it's anything less. Even bigger, I think, than the actual the, the series being tied and shit like that, Devin Booker being hurt and him yeah. having his hamstring um, messing up on him last night in the middle of the third quarter because that first half of Devin Booker was legendary. He couldn't miss. Like, he was making everything, pull-ups. He did step-back tween, dapping up babies. He was going crazy in that first <laughs> half. He had 31 in the first half. And in the second half, we see him tweak the, the hamstring. He didn't come back into the game, and the, the, the game really slipped out of the, the Suns' hands. I think the momentum really shifted when they seen their star player, their best player, just leave like that. It's like, damn, like, they started to think ahead a little bit, like, damn, what, what are we going to do when you talk about future matchups? And they forgot about the Pelicans and Brandon Ingram, who was a straight bucket. You see, and CJ McCullum was getting loose last night. So the bucket getters for the Pelicans really showed up. But I think the Booker injury is more so the story of the game. And there's a silver lining with this, in my opinion. This is going to show every analyst, every reporter who has not been paying attention to Devin Booker, this is going to show the media how important he is to this team and how he is the reason why they are as good as they are. Yes, we know Chris Paul can elevate any situation he walks into, but Chris Paul really leading this team now without a Devin Booker at the moment, now we're going to see if Chris Paul really is the reason why the Suns are as good as they are. So the silver lining in this is I think Devin Booker will finally start getting his flowers from the media like, oh, damn, when Booker not playing, they look like a whole different team out there. You know, so I, I feel like that's the silver lining in this. Of course, I want him back as soon as possible. But maybe Devin Booker missing for a game or two is going to make the media think, damn, Chris Paul really can't just lead this team by itself. And something interesting Charles Barkley brought up. Chuck doesn't bring up a lot of good points, but he brought up a good point with this one. Of When you get older, which Chris Paul obviously is at this point in his career, you can't string together a lot of huge performances like you could in the past. We've seen in game one that he really took over that fourth quarter against the Pelicans in game one. But in game two, it felt like he wanted to take over without Devin Booker in the game. And it's like he really couldn't get over the hump. He was missing a lot of bunnies. He was doing a lot of things that Chris Paul usually does with ease. So are we getting to a point with Chris Paul of, okay, yeah, he can still give you a big game, but can he string them together constantly? Is he just oh, getting hell, at that bro. age? Well, hell. Damn, can he do it constantly? Can he give you uh, <laughs> enough to get past the series? Can he give you enough to get you past the, the Mavs or the Jazz next series? Like, we have to think about this if uh, Devin Booker makes, misses an extended period of time. Chris Paul is an old man. Chris Paul is not giving y'all two games back-to-back back like he did. If Chris Paul That's gives you saying. two games like that back-to-back, back, he's getting hurt. I'm telling y'all right now. No, You ain't got to knock on wood. You ain't got to, you know, take it back. And then, like, no. If Chris Paul gives you any more than one game of that type of um consistent scoring and whatnot, he's going to get hurt. Like, and he knows that. He knows he can't continuously game after game after game be the answer 
But like, he's gonna have to now, though. He's gonna he's gonna have to. Shit, DeAndre wait, 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 somebody wait, better pick up the damn phone. Somebody, <laughs> somebody else need to pick up the damn campaign somebody, somebody. or somebody. Hey, he's gonna have to step up as well. Cam Johnson is gonna have to step up. Like a lot of people in Devin Booker's absence, they're saying that he should only miss a couple of games, but it's a hamstring injury, bro. That's a tricky situation, and you don't know you could tweak that at any point. Because when you come back in your first game, you could tweak it again and be out even longer. We seen the situation that happened with Harden last year. Where he came back and he wasn't even the same Harden. He couldn't push past defenders like he once did. And you can even see Harden. He doesn't have that same explosion like he once had in in, uh, in the past seasons. So you don't want this to be a lingering thing with Devin Booker either. You have to think about that if you're the Suns. Like, would you rather just drop this season and say, I want him healthy for oh, the future? No. Then say, oh, well, let's rush him back to get past this so we can beat the, the Jazz or the Mavericks next series. Ain't no rushing back, nothing. The Pelicans should not have won one damn game. I'm talking, I'm not talking about the Pelicans. They're going to beat the Pelicans. I'm not worried about the Pelicans. I'm talking about when you got to play Luka them probably next round. Devin Booker don't need to come back throughout the rest of the series. I really don't give a damn. We I'm talking about see- next series. I said the Mavs. No, but I'm saying, like, I don't care if he doesn't play the rest of this series because, to your point, I want him healthy for the next one. So, I don't think the Suns should look at it as – damn, should we just not really give a fuck about this season so Devin Booker can get healthy? Like, no, I, I feel like this is a must-win season for more so Chris Paul than the Suns, but the Suns for sure. They, this is a must-win season for them. I think it's a tricky situation, bro. I think, once again, we have cautionary tales that people have to look at. KD, when you talk about Luka, and James Harden from last year, when you talk about Devin Booker. A cautionary tale. Be careful with it. Do not rush your back. If I'm Booker, I'm taking my time with it, bro. I understand that he want to get back. They have a good chance to get back. But if you don't feel like yourself again, if you don't have that same explosiveness, like we didn't see that explosiveness from Harden last year, do not come back just because you want to help your team. Because more than likely, you're going to end up hurting them even more because you're going to be on one leg mostly, most likely. So I mm-hmm. think you're hurting them even more. So I think they have enough to honestly win the next two series without Devin Booker. I, I truly yeah, believe in this guy's team. I believe in them that much. I believe in them that much. And that's how much I believe in people, not even Chris Paul, but the Mikael Bridges and the Cam Johnsons and the Payne's and the Aitons. That's how much I believe in them to really step up to the plate without somebody like a Devin Booker. I they think they beat the Mavericks. Squeeze it. Yeah. Squeeze it out. They're going to they squeeze it. They're going to squeeze it. They're going to squeeze it. That's what I'm saying. Just like we're seeing with the Mavericks right now where they're really galvanizing it with uh, as a team without Luka, I think it's going to be the same thing of we have to step up. We have to do it for book. We have to push forward. And I think if you play somebody like a, a, a Mavericks next year, uh, next year round, and even if a Luka's back, I think there are a good matchup for them when you talk about the defensive weapons and the, t- the defenders, the offensive players you have as well. Like I think they still have enough. Do you want Booker? Obviously, but I just would take my time with that type of injury. I really would, bro. And moving on to the other series is the Bucks versus the Bulls. It's only been game one. Game two was currently going underway, but it was a close game in game one. I was totally surprised by this matchup. I thought this was going to be a sweep. I still think it's going to be a sweep, honestly. But yeah. the, the Bulls just played way better than I expected. Uh, Alex Caruso put on a masterclass in game one. But how do you feel about the first matchup? 
I think it'll be a gentleman's sweep. I've seen enough heart with the Bulls to see they can get one game at least. But the way Giannis is literally just dominating every possession, <laughs> I don't see this game going – I mean, I don't see this series going anything past five. So the Bulls will get one. Caruso and DeRozan, they'll be the heroes of it. Patrick Williams, he'll have a um, a good game as well in whatever game they win. But that's it. It's just going to be five. Yeah, because they're currently winning. They're up by 14 right now on the, the Bulls. But they were up. No, no, no. The Bulls are up on the Bucks by 14. My fault. The Bulls are currently up on the Bucks by 14. But we seen the Bulls came back last. No, the Bucks came back on the Bulls last game. I was going to say, how much time left? Oh, it's halftime right now. So they halftime. came back on the Bucks last game. Oh, yeah, and it was the, a, the Bucks coming matchup. back. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> and you can't trust you can't trust the, the Bulls because I don't know how much you could trust DeRozan in the playoffs, man. We've seen his playoff struggles for so long, and then we thought it was gonna be different because he's had such an MVP caliber season, but he's really struggled in the first game. Hopefully that changes moving forward. But if they do not have him to at least take some weight off of Levine, Bucevic even had a good game one to take the pressure off of him. This is going to be a tough matchup, and I still predict a sweep, even though they're currently down by 14. I think the Bucs do come back. But they did play some tough, scrappy defense, and that's the, the, the best thing I think I've seen from the Bulls was the defensive side of the ball. Alex Caruso was getting loose, but he was all over the place. He was the best player, honestly, for the Bulls in that first game. Even though he wasn't scoring the points, he was the best player mm-hmm. for the Bulls, man. So shout out to Alex Caruso. Still think the Lakers are dumb as hell for letting him go. And moving on to the NFL... We do have some NFL draft talk. We have some wide receivers wanting out, and a few wide receivers who want out are Debo Samuel. He confirms that he wants out of San Francisco at this point. He says that it's not only the money that he's having a problem with in San Francisco because they were going back and forth with negotiations this uh, this offseason, but it's also the fact that he doesn't want to play the running back wide receiver role like we've been seeing last season. Like he was doing like a lot of, oh, he was at tight end or he was at wide receiver or he had running back. He said he wants to be a true wide receiver and San Francisco doesn't know if they want to do uh, do that for him. Just have him at wide receiver the whole time. They want to really move him around. So he's asking out. I really can't blame San Francisco for basically denying that. Debo Samuel, I think, is in the perfect situation of being that just pure athlete threat, that pure athletic threat of we never know where you're lining up. You could be lining out at the X. You could be in the slot position. You could be a running back, you know, um, you know, switching and everything. So I, I feel like he's in a great situation already. What team are you going to go to at this point on a contending team that needs you? Any team that's already a contender, i say other than the Ravens, doesn't really need you. The Chiefs don't need you. They got Arsenal. The Bucks, we got an Arsenal. Green Bay, A Rod could probably use you, especially now. They don't but, got the money for him. But this but is I'm the thing. Say they don't got the money for you. So a team either doesn't have the money for you or they literally already have everything. San Francisco, I know you that's not the position you want, but it's the position that puts you in a better chance in your division anyway. Because other than the Rams, the 49ers can really be that second team in that division. I think it's a situation where 
I think that is the best situation for him. But if he doesn't want to play uh, the all over the field type of scat back role, I think that's better for his longevity. And I think that's how he's thinking about it. He's taking way more hits than the normal wide receiver when he has to play running back, when he got to play tight end, he got to block, he got to do all this extra shit other than the regular wide receivers who just run routes most of the time and fake block their, their, their cornerbacks. I think that's how he's thinking about it. He wants to have a longer career. And if he continues to do that scat back shit, he's not going to have a long career. He's probably going to be out in the next three, four years. And I think that's how he's but thinking can, about it. Can Debo Samuel be a top 10 wide receiver? If that's his only yes. position, wide receiver, can he be a top yes. 10 wide receiver? Yes. I don't know, I think bro. he can. I think he can. I don't know. I think he can. I think you can still use him in different ways. You can still have him on jet sweeps, but I don't think he, he likes being lined up and he knows that he's a running back and he knows that he's a tight end. I don't think he's just opposed to just getting handed the ball and shit like that, but it's the fact that, like, you know you're using me as a running back. You know you're using me as a tight end, and you know I'm going to take way more hits than I need to when I'm trying to have a longer career than the the normal athlete. So I I think that's how he's thinking about it, especially in a contract season where he's trying to get an extension, and y'all bullshitting with me yet. They probably trying to pay him running back type of money. When he's a wide receiver, it's like, okay, I see how y'all view me now. And I don't like how y'all view me. I'm going to go somewhere where they treat me like a real wide receiver and I get paid the wide receiver money. Because think about these top wide receivers. They're getting paid cheese now, bro. I don't know, bro. I don't know if Debo Samuel could be a, num- a number one option wide receiver. No. Top 10, no. He, I don't think he cares about being on a contender. I wouldn't give a damn about being on a contender either. Get your fucking money should be the number one thing. And as a professional athlete, that should be your number one goal. Winning championships is some secondary shit meant for only great players, bro. If you are a role player on a great team, it's like cool. But for the great players, they're the only people that are worried about rings. If you're a player that's just trying to get your check, you don't give a damn where you playing. Go to the go to the Jets. Go to the fucking. But you Falcons. have to care. No, you you really don't get yes, your you fucking money. to get the to get the money you want. You're gonna you get paid to money on a trash team. You can go to the Jets and get thirty mil right now. Go to the fucking Jets. But if you want to be on a like, I, I refuse to believe. He doesn't Debo care, Samuel bro. That's why I said the contending shit should not matter. That should not matter. That should only matter to a specific. To him, though. I don't think it matters. If it doesn't matter to him, that's wild, bro. That's wild to be like you're willing to leave a playoff contending, possibly Super Bowl contending, on the right day for San Francisco. Like, did you not see what happened? Willing bro? You to... just see what happened with Tyreek. Tyreek just left a Super Bowl team, a Super Bowl contending team for the Dolphins because the Dolphins paid him 30 mil. Are the Dolphins going to be good? Most likely, yeah, but they Super Bowl, I don't know about all that shit. He left the but Super they're at Bowl least still team. Good, good enough. They're at least it's still, a, good it's still the Dolphins, bro. And you don't know what you have at quarterback. You left the best quarterback in the league to get the 30 million. That should be your mindset as a player, bro. Your, your time in the league is not long. Get your money. If a team is willing to pay you $30 million, if the Jets going to pay you 30 and we see that was one of the options for Tyreek Hill too. He could have went to the Jets, but he just picked the Dolphins. You could have went to the Jets. You can go to the Falcons. It's other teams that are willing to pay you. That should be the priority, Whether other than the, the championship rings, I think. That's why I always view that, bro. If you can get your money, get your money, bro. That's why I'm not mad at Bradley Bill for continuing to return to Washington when Washington is going to keep throwing him these boatloads of, of millions of dollars when he's playing for a trash team, it's like he's getting paid all of this cheese. I can't be really mad at him because he, he doesn't have that same type of uh, LeBron standard that he has to live up to where it's just championship, championship, championships. He just wants to get paid and play hoop. That's it. 
And that's for a lot of these players in the league. That's what they want to do. They want to get paid and play football. That's a lot of their mindsets. I think we get stuck on the ring culture so much where we have that as the priority for a lot of these players when that's really not their mindset. It's but it's just about getting paid and just playing football. <laughs> that's really it. I don't know, bro. I think when you're the team who's uh, looking for a player like Debo Samuel, when it comes to the type of money you give him, it's all going to come down to what can he contribute to your organization. If you're a team like the Jets and you have the money to give that to him, but let's say you're also trying to build other things on the team, are you really going to give X amount of dollars to Debo Samuel who will give you, like, you know what you're going to get with Debo Samuel, regardless of whatever position he wants to play, you know what you are going to get from him when it comes down to it. But are you willing to give him that amount of money and miss out on filling other spots on the team to still be in the same situation you're in? I'm thinking of it from a team perspective, because the reason why I ask, can we really look at Debo Samuel as a, a top 10 wide receiver in the league? I can't. If you can put him in the top 10, he's like number nine or 10. The first eight slots, I'm pretty sure I could feel easily. So the fact that your value as a, a straight-up wide receiver is barely or not top 10, like, I don't know if we can give you that type of money just because you're on a trash team. If you go to the Falcons or the Jets or whatever or the Jags, like, I, I don't see them throwing you that type of money because if they do, they really don't care about building the rest of the team at that point. This season... The first full season where he's most likely played wide receiver. These are just receiving stats, not even rushing stats. He's av- He got 77 receptions, 1,400 yards, which was top six in the NFL, top five in the NFL, and six touchdowns. I think that would be top five. That would be top five, top six in the NFL this season. That would be it. He's a top six wide receiver, bro. And with other shit that he brings to the table, like I said, I think he just doesn't want to be cons- consistently lined up at running back. But I'm pretty sure you can line him up, put him on jet sweeps and other shit like that. He will still want to win games in that sort of fashion. But he wants to be viewed as a wide receiver, not as a just full-on scout scat back because that's devaluing him. Because that's not what he is. And uh, running backs aren't getting paid like wide receivers in this league. I got to disagree, bro, because I'm putting Tyreek, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, what you call it, um, on the Eagles. Devontae Smith. Fuck no. Devontae Smith is not better than Debo Samuel. Fuck out of here. No, you already just slipping. Being a wide you're already receiver? slipping. And you're being already a wide slipping. receiver? Yes, you're already slipping. You're already slipping. Okay. <laughs> like I said, he's top 10 for sure. Top seven, arguably. I put Stefan Diggs up there. But I'm about to say yeah, you're missing a lot of names, bro. Nah, if you slip, you, you skipping a Devontae Smith. Fuck no. Oh, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. That's another yeah. one. That is why I said I can bro, give you seven think, to think eight about, now think before about I the, say Think Debo about what Samuel. those players are getting paid, though, bro. Devontae Adams just got $28 million, bro. Twenty, And he's the top of the top wide receiver crop. And Christian Kirk, nowhere near a fucking top 15. He's not even a number one on a team, not even a number two on a team. Just got $18 fucking million. Actually, $21 million to play for the Jaguars, bro. Christian Kirk. So if Christian Kirk can get paid $21 million, what the fuck can Debo Samuel get on the market? 25? Oh, 25 most likely. I agree. He can get the money. He Because he he's a top 10 wide receiver. receiver. I'm just saying, if, if you're the team who's getting this player, you clearly don't care about anything else other than just paying for that one star at the moment. This, I'm, that's I'm the market for a wide receiver. 
That's the that's the market for a wide receiver, though, bro. If you want to pay for a receiver, that's the going rate. You can pass on them and draft a wide receiver. These wide receivers are coming in out of the draft and obviously are playing great. And I think that's the conversation that a lot of people are having right now that the the teams are not really willing to resign these high level wide receivers because they know they can really draft one at a cheaper a cheaper price and we don't even have to pay them but we're gonna get a similar type of production i think that's what san francisco is looking at same thing with terry mclaurin in washington he's having a, a battle with negotiations with washington same thing with aj brown in tennessee having a battle with negotiations these teams are looking at it from a perspective of i can drive somebody just as good or probably a little dip in production but going to give me most of it because a lot of these wide receivers are coming out of college, putting up tremendous stats. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. They, I, I looked up a stat yesterday, bro, that said it has been 34 receivers drafted in the first round over the past four to five years. 30 of them are good to elite wide receivers. Hear that one more time. 30 out of the 34 wide receivers drafted in the first round have been good to great, to elite, to star status in this league, bro. That means there have only been four relative busts in the past four to five years. These wide receivers are coming out ready. So a lot of these teams don't want to pay you, bro. If they can draft somebody in the first round, that's just as good. So I think that's a lot. That's, that comes into the equation, too, when you talk about resigning these players, too. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it just depends on whatever team you go to and how much they need them. And I think that's the conversation that, uh, I bring up because that's why you have to always keep that mentality of I'll play anywhere just to get the check. And that's how he has to keep it. Because you know somebody going to come up right behind you and hockey take your shine if you stay in a situation. It's like, oh, they're not even valuing me, like, valuing me the way they should because they know they got my replacement in the wings. Go somewhere where they value you highly. It doesn't matter what the team record will be, but go somewhere where they value you. You go get your money and you get to play football. That should always be the high priority. That's why I'm not somebody who's against the going to the trash teams. Go to the Jets. Go to the Falcons. Go to whoever going to give you that check. Because it's somebody right to replace you and your time in the NFL is not long. All of these all of these wide receivers, McLaurin, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, whether y'all get traded or whether y'all sign somewhere else, that the, the, the where you play, I know y'all want to win games. A lot of them are come from winning programs in college, but that, that shouldn't be the that shouldn't be the thought process, bro. Get your money. Feeding your family should be the main priority when you play football, bro. Especially when everybody getting millions nowadays. That's just how I feel about the shit. I know everybody got the, the rings on their mind. Moving on. We got Jay Wright retires. Legendary Villanova coach is gone from the college basketball scene. It was a sudden move. We seen Villanova get back to the final four this season, but he did call it a, a quits. I think they already replaced him with the Fordham head coach is now becoming the Villanova head coach. So it looks like a, a quick transition when you talk about the replacement. But Edgar, how do you feel about Jay Wright and him leaving a, a sport where he was really, for the last 10 years, the last decade, he was the best coach for the last decade. I was going to say, he yeah. was, what, top two? And a lot of times, not number two when he came to coaching in the NCAA, especially March Madness time. So definitely had an entire era of defining Villanova basketball and really just showing a spotlight to one of these teams that we don't usually hear about, you know, um, pre him getting there. So I think the culture will forever be changed. I think they'll still get the amount of crews that they want, even though he's not coaching anymore, just because of the tone he set. 
and you don't get too many coaches like that. So Jay Wright gone, Roy Williams gone, uh, Coach K done hung it up. It's all all of these era coaches that we gotten used to. Like time just flew by, man, and it's a it's a whole new decade now. It's a whole new era of basketball. But he definitely did an amazing job. I'll never forget some of the games I seen with Villanova. I remember I first got on to Villanova like five, six years ago. And I'm like, who the hell is this team? I never heard of them before. And I paid attention ever since. Yeah. Villanova, man. Damn. I think I think Coach Wright is the greatest coach that I've ever seen. And I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done. Because yes, it's other coaches with more championships, but the 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 stuff that he did with the talent that he had doesn't get talked about enough because you can bring up the coach K's, but coach K's gets five stars every year, but Villanova was bringing in three stars and developing them into pros. I remember having a conversation with you uh, before of if it was one school I had to go to, if I was a high level prospect, I'm going to Villanova because I know I'm going to get developed. I'm going to get all the fundamentals and I know I'm going to be a pro prospect. You can talk about Eric Pascal, Mikael Bridges, Josh Hart, uh, Ryan Archidiakono, Colin Gillespie is going to be uh, uh, in the NBA soon. Like, he develops pros, bro, because he teaches you the fundamentals. And then he's going to get you in the national championship game eventually. We see we got them to the final four this year. I think the three of the past four years, no, three of the past five years, he's gotten them to the final four, and he won two of them. So we see a, a constant success with that, even going back to 2009, when he has Scotty Reynolds, it's been a long history of success, but just recently he's really put it all together. When you talk about championship wins, I think he is the greatest coach that I ever seen because he did it with the talent that he had, bro. You could talk about all these other coaches. They didn't do it with that. They didn't do it with that talent, bro. Developing a program takes time, bro. And we didn't see that with these other coaches, bro. You talking about Calipari, Calipari get five stars every year underperform. Coach K get five stars. And yeah, he had five championships, but that's bullshit. I'd rather go to the coach, and I'd rather get the credit to the coach that does it and develops and then turns it into a championship contender. So I think that's the greatest coach I've ever seen personally, bro. So definitely congratulations to Jay Wright. He's 60 years old. I heard that he was getting a lot of uh, NBA buzz, but I think he said he's done with coaching, period. He's not going to go into any other route. He's just retiring to spend time with his family. So definitely appreciate all the memories that Jay Wright did give to college basketball. Definitely a legend and the GOAT in my eyes. Do you think Gonzaga is similar to what Villanova is doing when it comes to developing players, being able to keep players all the way till their senior year? Do you think they're showing some somewhat of a resemblance to Villanova? I think Gonzaga high key turned into Duke. Duke was the same way. Duke was a place where you stayed for a long time. And then it mm. flipped. Like, I remember it was the year when they ended up getting Jaleel Okafor. It was the year they got yeah. Jaleel Okafor, Tyus Jones. It was the year they got mm-hmm. Justice Winslow. They quickly turned into a one-and-done one school. And I think Gonzaga is hockey turned into that, where they used to develop you, but now they really just getting you in that bitch just to be a one-and-done, just to get me at, to the to get to, get me to the promised land and then get your ass on type of school right now. But they used to be that type of program where you came in, you weren't highly known. They were in the West Coast Conference. Like, they weren't really talked about like that. But in the tournament, that's when you really seen them. So they used to be that type of program, but they kind of flipped like Duke into being like more of a one-and-done type of school. But, yeah, you still got your Drew Timmys here and there. But Drew Timmy was even a five-star. Timmy was a five-star coming out of high school. Yeah. So they're bringing in five-star recruits every year now because they're just, like, a nationally known program. But the early stages of Gonzaga were more so, like, they're building it up to be, like, national championship uh, type of shit. So, yeah. 
But definitely shout out to Mark Few, too. Another legend in this game. Doesn't get talked about enough. And moving on to social media wants to know. So as you know, Marcus Smart did win Defensive Player of the Year. So definitely shout out to him. I want to say some slick shit, but I'm going to move on. The most deserving guard. So it was a conversation on social media about who is the most deserving guard to win most uh, to win defensive player of the year between the last person who won defensive player of the year as a guard and Gary Payton and Marcus Smart, who just won defensive player of the year. Who in between that time, what guard should have won defensive player of the year between 96 to 2022? What guard should have won? Uh, what's his name? Um, damn, Tony Allen should uh, be first name. Off yes, name. Tony Allen. Tony Allen. Cause I had Tony in my head. I couldn't think of the last name. Tony Allen. No question. Tony Allen. And it's funny because I thought Tony Allen had one. I had I had to look up his Wikipedia page. I I thought he had one. I remember him talking like first team all defense. But I I just knew he had a a defensive player of the year in his in his bag. But he did it which is crazy to me because he really was the best defender for the long time. When yes. Kobe stamps you, when Kobe stamps you as the best defender that's ever guarded him, you're certified. You should hockey get put in the Hall of Fame for that shit alone <laughs> for being a friend, the best person that guarded Kobe hockey. So it's Tony Allen. I think Chris Paul has some years where he should have been defensive player of the year. I remember like the New Orleans Pelicans, Chris Paul used to go crazy with the steal. So it was some guards like in the early 2000s that should have won some, but they was honing them for like the big centers with the blocks and shits. But I think Chris Paul and Tony Allen will be the two players I think were really snub. Tony Allen for sure. He could have shit. Tony Allen could have about two or three. Like he could have. Bro, he was clamoring for a long time, bro. He was clamoring for a long time. So yeah, that's an interesting conversation, man. Once again, shout out to Marcus Smart. Uh, I think in that defensive player of the year race, Mikael Bridges ended up coming in two and Rudy Gobert came in three bullshit, <laughs> but y'all know how that shit go with the media, bro. But we got to start having a conversation, bro. Cause this is, I, I respect Marcus smart. So I don't want to take another his shine away, but it's the thing. Like he wasn't even in the race a no. month and a half ago. He wasn't in the race. Like the leading candidate for defensive player of the year was Robert Williams, who was the center for the Celtics. When he got hurt, that's when Marcus Smart really became a candidate. So how, when a month and a half left in the season, he just catapults to the front of the line? It's crazy to me, bro. When Bam is having a crazy season, Mikael Bridges is having a crazy season defensively, they keep telling me that Bam has missed so many games, but he still ended up playing damn near 60 games. And there have been players that have won Defensive Player of the Year with less games played. So he could have won this year, and he wasn't even a finalist, which blows the fuck out of me. Yeah, I thought he was at least going to be a finalist. When I didn't see his name in the top three, I was like, what? Like, I was so confused, bro. But this I just so shows you how this shows you how much the media really controls everything. And it, it once again, it controls narratives, bro. Like, when nobody was talking about you and then magically you become first, that means somebody must have been saying something in the media circles and really was ravaging people up to be like, oh, Marcus Smart is it, Marcus Smart is it. When he wasn't even in the race, bro, he wasn't even the best defender on his team, let alone the best defender in the league. So it's like, bro, what are we doing when he gets the award? But once again, shout out to him. I don't want to take nothing away, but that shit would be just crazy to me, bro. Moving on to entertainment, current events, we have Detain for Doritos. 
Yeah, so in Syracuse, it says right here, uh, Syracuse police are under fire over a viral video that captured three white cops taking an eight-year-old black boy to a patrol car after he allegedly stole a bag of Doritos from a convenience store. And it says right here, the boy's father, Anthony Way, told the Post Standard Police when... When they went to his home after the incident and told him three boys were accused of stealing chips, he said the cops were friendly and didn't press charges, but he was shocked when he saw the video on social media later. And he was just very upset over the fact that over a $3 bag of chips, his eight-year-old son was detained in their handcuffed and taken to a patrol car. And I just think it's it was just very over the top it was too much force used you see the little boy crying in the video and the the people who are recording like it was this one lady she was like i'll pay for the chips just let them go i'll pay for the chips because you're scaring him and the the white police officers just did not care like he's wow. him stealing a bag of chips was worth giving him one of the most frightful moments in his life and i think that's just crazy as hell bro because it's like yeah we're in America, we're desensitized and we're used to shit like this by now. But the fact that white people can literally mass murder a church or a school and they will find the softest, most gentlest way to calm the shooters down. They'll get them food. They'll do all this during their processing. But when it comes to a small eight-year-old black boy, you got to put his arms behind his back. You got to snatch him off of his bike. Like you got to take them to the patrol car. Like it, it's just, it, it's just crazy to me how, although we're desensitized, we'll never truly get used to shit like this. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about how his mind is going to work moving forward when you're talking about the cops. Like he's not even gonna move the same, bro. Like that's a moment that he will remember for the rest of his life. So if he runs into a cop later in his life, or if he, I, I think his movements are just gonna be different, bro. That, that, that fucks you up as a kid, bro. Like, I definitely don't even want to go outside no more because now I'm scared that I'm going to run into one of them. And what if I do some shit again? Are they going to just get me just for just walking around or just doing some random shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even want to have a run-in with you. Like, I don't even want to have a conversation with you. So my whole attitude toward you now is different. Like, that, that shit is just, that shit is crazy, bro. To be eight years old and just to have that mindset towards cops. Because usually at eight, bro, you don't know shit. Maybe your parents have told you that cops saying shit or yada, yada, yada. But currently, you don't really know shit. But to have that experience at eight and to tell your people, like, man, I really don't know what the fuck going on, but I just don't fuck with them. I had this moment. I had this terrifying experience with the cops. It's like, bro, to have that at eight is wild to me. And the dad was very um, transparent. He was like, look, I'm not saying that my kid was in the right or anything because he was upset that his kid was stealing but it's a three dollar bag of chips, bro. Like it's Doritos. Like y'all, y'all have seen kids steal before, snatch some chips out the dollar store and just run off. You know what I'm saying? Yes, you could be upset. Yes, you could take precautionary measures to make sure it don't happen again. But to get to the point to where you're calling the police about a three dollar bag of burritos, I mean uh, Doritos, like that. That's just, I don't know, bro. It, it's no words to put with that. They called the police on that shit. That's crazy. That's crazy, bro. For real, That's bro. definitely crazy as hell. All right, man. Moving on to the... Actually, damn. I almost put the shit at the bottom. But the biggest news of entertainment and current events, Kendrick Lamar is finally dropping. His date is on May 13th. Edgar, give us the update. 
Uh, yeah, so the title of this album is going to be uh, It's Morale and the Big Steppers. And it's dropping May 13th, like you said. Uh, the big question is Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. My bad. But the biggest question is what features are we going to get with this? I know you were saying on Twitter how you hoping for a Cole feature. Uh, I was saying how I want to hear like him with Anderson Pack. Um, maybe um, I, I said J. Cole as well. Uh, Rick Ross. Like it's a few people I want to hear Kendrick rap with that I haven't heard him rap with at all or in a long time with. So those were some names I gave off. I heard a couple people say, uh, oh, I said Kanye too. Uh, I heard a, other, a few other people he say Kanye. Kanye. He is? For what? They've been sneak dissing each other for a long time. <laughs> About still what? Me. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I how to say, just, like, what's the reason? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, I think rappers do that shit not because they actually have beef, but it keeps them going. Like, oh, okay, yeah. this nigga, he doubts me, so I have to keep proving him wrong in a way. So I think he just continues to sneak people in rap. So, yeah, they've been beefing. But, but this was 2017, though, when Kid had his last album. Lamar don't drop music. Like, how the hell yeah. does he sneak this? When he, in 2017, <laughs> like, when he dropped music, like, he was sneak this and yeah and shit. Them niggas doing a song together. I don't care about those 2017. <laughs> this is 2022. They are doing a song together, I'm sure. But, yeah, those are some features I'm excited for. I don't know if you thought of anybody else other than Cole. Uh, Cole is my biggest one because we've been lied to for so long about this goddamn yeah. combo tape to come by. <laughs> we never gonna get that shit. So at least give us a song, goddamn it, because it's a song. It's it is a Cole and Kendrick song out there, but it's like from two thousand and like eight. Like it's a it's it's like an old song, old old song shit. called Temptation. <laughs> it's a long song. So that's what I'm saying. Like we need some new shit, bro. We need some new shit from those two. Uh, anybody else? I would like Rihanna to be on that shit because that's usually a, a dangerous combo, Kendrick and Rihanna. Mm-hmm. But she probably she's not making music anymore, so she's out of the game. Yeah, and ASAP just got locked up too. Well, he I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's gonna be <laughs> bro. It's crazy that we hear everything, all this good shit about ASAP. Oh, he a good dude. Got Rihanna pregnant. Whoop whoop whoop. And then we see that some people are trying to tear him down. Be I think people are trying to tear him down because he got Rihanna pregnant. It's like if we didn't hear about Rihanna getting pregnant, is ASAP in jail? I don't think so. It, I think people are trying fact, to tear him down. It was the fact they shared a picture of Drake at his computer and said this was Drake sending the information to the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. Somebody don't want to see that man be great and just snitched on him for what? I don't know if he did it or if he didn't, but I feel like this shit was really getting flown under the radar. But then they was like, oh, he got Rihanna pregnant? Oh, yeah, fuck this nigga. Turn this shit into <laughs> So they went crazy. They went crazy. Like, that nigga, yeah, that nigga did look like ASAP. Yeah, see that nigga over there. Man. That nigga in jail, man. Right when he got to LAX. Crazy Kend- situation. Kendrick Lamar, though, definitely um, talked for album of the year. And we ain't even heard it yet. <laughs> so definitely he's going to be the most anticipated album of the year uh, person right now. So. Damn, bro. I'm trying to think of other features. I don't even know what I want from Kendrick anymore. I just want music. I, I really don't give a fuck what I yeah. want other than Nicole. I just want music from Kendrick. Like, cause I don't think we get enough conceptual rap now. I don't think we get enough conceptual rap like that to pimp a butterfly shit or like damn or just like um good kid mad city like he gives us so much conceptual creativity that is so different from everybody else and i think that's what makes him stand out like his storytelling the the uh the sequencing of his albums like everything is most mostly perfect with his shit i just want music from him because i know this shit gonna be great big sean big sean another artist 
that I want to hear with him. Yeah. They got beef too. Oh, they definitely have they beef. Kendrick and Big Sean they definitely have beef. They, they squashed, squashed it. it. Oh, they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was about to say. They, I knew they had a song about each other. Sean Sean said it on uh Drink Champs. It was on D, it was on Detroit too. I don't remember what song it was, but he oh. he definitely talked. He definitely talked <laughs> about it though. Yeah. It's funny, bro. I want him to be with Drake, but I know he still sneaks date uh, sneak disses Drake from time to time. I think Drake really still sneak disses him a lot of the time too. I want to hear Drake and Kendrick, bro. Poetic Justice. Have we heard another song from them since? We haven't heard anything from them since Poetic Justice. I need a Drake and that was and what, 2011? That was 2011, 2012. Like, damn. I need a Drake and Kendrick feature on this album, bro. I just but need the I, main niggas on here. I don't really... I agree with you, bro. Like, I don't really think it's beef sometimes. I think it's just the fact that it has to still be competition at the same time, you know? And Meek Mill said this in 2019 when uh, after him and Drake got back cool and after he dropped the championships album and everything, and he went on Funk Flex to do his freestyle and everything, he was telling people, it's like, look, we cool again. Like, that's my brother and everything. But, hey, we, we still rappers at the end of the day. Like, so if y'all still hear us, drop bars or whatever say certain shit like you know it, it's still a we're in the business of poking the bear of each other you know and i i respect that you know it ain't it ain't no real beef i don't think with um sean and kendrick anymore especially since sean said something about it but i wouldn't be surprised if dot still said sneak shit or if sean or drake or j cole still sneak this to each other because it's like hey we we got to be competition at the end of the day everybody can't know we just all cool with each other because what the hell we gonna rap about so yeah but you know the funniest thing about kendrick bro if he never rapped again he still would have been the greatest rapper of this generation like he doesn't need to, to rap anymore with everything that he's got given us when you talk about mixtapes when you talk about the three classic grammy nominated mostly grammy winning albums it's like he doesn't have to give us anything and he's the greatest rapper of this generation so the fact that he's just giving us this shit really for bonus is really just to add shit to his legacy at this point because he's really cemented when you talk about like his place in history he really is he can stop rapping whenever the fuck he wants to and he's it's just like okay so it, that's why it's going to be funny what he talks about now. Like, does he have that same hunger and his raps like he used to? Because you're at this certain place where everybody views you as the, the number one. What's the mentality like now? Do you still have that dog mentality like, oh, somebody, I got to get better than somebody else when you're already at the top? Are you going to start talking about your family now? Are you going to start having more family raps? Because usually it's not a lot of family raps. Maybe it's like some talking about his mama or something like that. But he actually has like a kid now. He has a wife now, so is it going to be like more personal shit like that on the album? Possibly, could be some personal shit. And he he's definitely I was I would agree that when it comes to just straight up being the best rapper, Kendrick Lamar of this of the 2010s, he definitely was that. Like if you, if you got to give the Mount Rushmore of the 2010s, Drake is the best artist of that decade. Cole was the best. Cole was the people's champ of that decade. Nikki was the best female rapper of that decade. And Kendrick was the best rapper of that decade. So Cole, Kendrick, Drake, and Nikki, when it comes to 2010 to 2020, they, they're definitely the, the Mount Rushmore. Future would be decade. on my, my, uh, my Mount Rushmore. The Lord and Savior would definitely be on mine. 
Lord, the Lord and Savior would definitely I love be on future, mine. bro. I love future, but <laughs> the Lord I don't and know Savior if I will, would definitely be on mine, bro. I don't know if I will put him on the Mount Rushmore, bro. I will put him on the Mount Rushmore for as sure. influential as he is, like and, and yes. that's saying a lot. As influential as future was, bro. I just I don't know. I can't put him on the Mount Rushmore over any of the four that I named. I can't, bro. And this is a conversation that I wanted to have because a lot of people would throw this man on a Mount Rushmore as well for being influential, and it is Young Thug. Oh, yeah. So who yeah. who would you pick as the most influential? And if you were to take Nikki off of that Mount Rushmore, between these two, who would you have? It would have to be Young Thug. I like Future as the better rapper, but Young Thug was way more influential. When it comes to the... I, I know we get on mumble rapping a lot, but without Young Thug, I don't think mumble rap would have hit the peak that it did, and I don't think it would have became such a wave. And then with the flamboyancy of how he dresses, whether it's an actual dress or tight pants or whatever, like he Young Thug just set a cultural shift that we hardly ever see, you know, when it when it comes to how you change the rap game. Few, I, I say the same thing with Jeezy and Gucci. Jeezy is the way better rapper, but Gucci is one of the most influential rappers of all time. Like when it comes to change, changing the culture. So Young Thug in that same boat. I gotta go with Future, bro. And this is the shit I be talking about, bro. This is the shit I be talking about. That Future not gonna get his flowers, bro, until he dead for real. Cause y'all pushing him behind so many people, bro. Cause I, if I I had to limit you down to these two, but it's probably some other names that you probably will put over Future. But I think Future is on that Mount Rushmore, bro. You talk about the 2010s. Nobody has given us that many classics, that many hits in this decade, bro. Nobody. Future gave us hits every album, every album. He's the Lord and Savior of this shit. So it's like, bro. I, I, like I said, I don't think Future will end up getting as much credit as he as he deserves. And I think Future was one of the first people on that mumble rap shit. I think he, Young Thug, got that shit from Future, and then Young Thug really ran with that shit and really made it something that it really wasn't at the time. But he he made the cultural change, though. That's what I'm saying. Future, I'll say it again, Future is the better rapper between the two. Like, if I had to say who's, whose music hits harder, I definitely believe it's Future's. But the music plus the cultural influence plus the rappers like Young Thug brought in, he did it on like a Gucci man level. So I, I have to give Thug the cultural dub in that. Sense. Oh, so you're saying because he got baby and gun on there that you boosting him above future. What as far as Mount Rushmore? That's I'm saying that's why you put him oh, on. Yeah, you said yeah. the people that he brought in is the reason that you putting him above him. So you're saying the fact people that he got baby and Gucci in there or gun in there. And Lil' Keed and you know, other artists like that, other artists and producers and all that type of stuff. So, mm, so you putting all that shit in there. But in terms of music, bro. In terms oh, of music, it's future. In terms yeah. of music, it's just straight future, honestly. So and speaking of Young Thug, Young Thug does have something dropping soon. It was a cover art that was dropped. I don't know what he dropping. If it's an album, it's a song. Your thug just be doing some weird shit. It's a lot of build up for his shit a lot of times, and it really just be a single. So I don't know what he has coming out, but it is to be determined on his uh on yeah, his they, front. They both dropping soon. Future drop on the 29th, April 29th. Yeah. So, yep. Moving on, we got the 
Oh, <laughs> uh, Rory from the Rory and Maul podcast ended up coming out and saying that the Trey Songs documentary is going to be crazier than R. Kelly's. Y'all have been hearing about Trey, uh, Trey Songs for a long time when you hear about sexual assault, raping women, and it's honestly starting to come to a head at this point. I brought it up on a couple of months ago on a podcast when I heard about um, Dylan Gonzalez ended up saying that she ended up getting raped, and a lot of people really started to believe the rumors when Kiki Palmer came out and said something about Trey Songs. What once Kiki Palmer said it, it was already rumors before Kiki Palmer started talking, but everybody started to blow it off to the side because oh, it might be some girls trying to get some money. But once Kiki Palmer said that shit about Trey Songs, about oh, he made me feel uncomfortable. Oh, that he wasn't, he's not a good dude. Da, 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 da. She said that shit about Trey Songs. It was like Oh, no, that nigga a grimy nigga behind closed doors. So I already knew what type of time it was. So everything that I hear about Trey Songs now, I'd be like, no, he did that shit for real. Yeah, and it's getting to a point where I can't even defend him no more. At least with Chris Brown, like, the accusations just be completely, you know, um, over the top. That's why with Chris Brown, I'm like, no, bro, Chris Brown ain't doing this shit. Because the lies that they come up with with Chris and the way he's so ready to, like, go to court. Like, Chris be ready to go to court and be like, nah, let me prove your ass wrong. So that's why when it comes to Chris, I'm like, no, Chris ain't doing this shit. But with a lot of shit, with Trey Songz, I'm like, he be quiet. He don't be trying to argue with her now. I'm like, yeah, Trey might be doing this shit. And Rory said on the pod. Yeah, Rory said on his podcast, he said, in 15 years or however the fuck long it's going to be, the Trey Songz doc is going to be crazier than the R. Kelly one. Trey Songs is one of the most nasty, abusive, rapey, beats the shit out of women men. He is the scum of the fucking earth. Trey Songs is fucking disgusting. I was like, that that's crazy, bro. Crazy. I'm not, I'm not surprised in one bit, though. <laughs> that's the crazy thing. And it, it's just, it's just going to be another situation where we have to separate the artist from the music. Or are we going to cancel all the Trey Song hits? Like, people are trying to just cancel all of R. Kelly hits. Like, it's just, we're going to cancel Passion Trey Pain. Trey Songz doesn't have as many as R. Kelly, so that it might be a little easier. <laughs> we're, we're canceling Passion, Pain, and Pleasure? Like, I can separate the artist from the person. It's I, I really funny can't. because he's easier to cancel than, what's the name, though? R. Kelly oh, hard yeah. to cancel, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. He got too much, bro. He got too much where you just can't just throw that nigga to the side, bro. And, like, if I could go the rest of my life without listening to Passion, Pain, uh, Pain and Pleasure, I'll be fine. But not listening to Remix to Ignition uh, and whatever other song you want to say with R. Kelly, nah. I, that one Radio happen. Message. Yeah. Uh, that's for the name of love. Believe I Can Fly? Come Believe on, I bro. Can... You, same, <laughs> you say I was supposed to go the rest of my life without hearing that? <laughs> same girl with Usher. Fire. Feeling on your booty? Come on, bro. Y'all think I'm supposed to go my rest of my life without hearing these songs? Come on, bro. I have to hear these songs. Uh, uh what you call it? Bump and grind. Come on, bro. Crazy. The only song that should be canceled is "Age Ain't Nothing But a Number" because I know he who he was talking about personally in that song. But everything else is that shit fair game. I, I knew R. Kelly was gonna be canceled when I seen that video. <laughs> that man said, "All you gotta do is be." A.T. And the dude ran out there with a sign. I was like, yeah, it, it's over for you, my guy. It's over for you. Started running across the stage. Wild ass nigga. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, we never, remember when um, 
Bill Cosby was in jail. We was hearing so many like updates of what was going on. We was hearing that Bill was getting the shit beat out of him. Like we haven't heard shit about R. Kelly in jail. Like what is going on? Like if he is he having competitions like music competitions in jail? Like I need to know these things about what's going on with R. Kelly in the pen. Like I know it's some funny shit going on in prison with R. Kelly. But uh, anything else on that? Nah, they probably got that nigga dressing like Darkwing Duck, you know, putting the, the shit on there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know R. Kelly doing some wild shit in the pen, man. He doing some wild shit, man. But moving on to the next topic, I do have one on Thor 4 trailer reaction. We finally got the trailer from Marvel. So let me play that shit. Netflix CEO ended up saying that it's the end of an era for Netflix or end of an era for Netflix. While the service has long been praised for its lack of ads and commercials, Netflix is reversing its course on, on the matter. On Tuesday, Deadline reported that Netflix co-CEO Reed Hastings said that ads will soon be incorporated into the service. So y'all ass be ready for that shit. Nah, ain't no more ad-free uh, on-demand shit anymore, bro. Y'all gonna have to get it. Y'all gonna have to be like Hulu now. I, I think they did this because... They um they knew the drop in subscribers they were gonna get once they really started cracking down on this password sharing stuff because I think over the next couple of days or a couple of weeks they're gonna start being very strict with these accounts on how many devices they're open on and how many people are sharing passwords. So with the amount of subscriptions that have dropped and the amount of dollars that they've lost through those subscriptions, they gotta do advertisements at this point to supplement that. So I can't be mad at them for doing it, but it's like, damn, Netflix was like the only, yeah, was, well, HBO, HBO Max, Max. I don't think yeah. HBO Max got commercials either. So HBO Max, the, the only one at this point, yeah. ain't got no commercials. Disney Plus got some too? Uh, oh shit, no. Mm -mm. Peacock? Damn, so... Hell yeah, Peacock. Peacock oh. start. See, this is all I like. <laughs> this is all I like about Peacock. Peacock flaw as hell. Cause when you first start getting, like, when you first get on Peacock and start watching shit, you ain't got many commercials. You probably got one commercial throughout watching an entire episode or something. But let three, four days, a week, two weeks pass by. You start getting more and more commercials with everything you watch. I was like, these niggas think they, they slick, boy. Cause they they get you in. You like, yeah, I don't watch I don't watch about 37 minutes of this episode. I ain't seen that commercial yet. And you get like that one 15-second commercial, you're like, oh yeah, I could deal with that. I could deal with that. I'm gonna go through this series, no problem. By episode three or four, you got about three commercials in your shit. <laughs> It's crazy because Hulu Hockey got me built for that shit at this point. That's why I'm not really yeah. crazy like a lot of people are because I know a lot of people are going to leave Netflix because of this shit because the, the ads can be annoying, especially when you want to watch some shit, want to get it over with, and the ads be like two minutes and 30 seconds. It'd be like, come on, this ain't no quick shit, bro. Ain't no 15, 15 seconds get out of here. Like, it's a real deal commercial break. Shit's be annoying as hell, but Hulu got me built for it at this point. But I'll, I'll still gonna watch Netflix. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. I'm still gonna watch Netflix. And it's the fact me. that it's the fact that Netflix is charging damn near the most, and they're getting commercials, and they're cracking down on password sharing. It's like Netflix is gonna keep pushing the envelope because they're like, <laughs> y'all are gonna watch us anyway, so we're gonna push the envelope with whatever we want at this point. And this is all a part of what I was saying of 
cable damn near being obsolete. And all of these subscription services, they got to add commercials at this point because without cable in the next 10 years, how are these advertisers going to get their messages across to True. us? They have, they're going to have to be on every single thing. I'm pretty sure BET Plus probably got commercials, you know what I'm saying? Or even CNN apps and all this and that. So the all of these subscriptions, HBO Max, and I'm pretty sure Disney Plus will eventually get commercials as well because the less people HBO watch Max, cable, solid, the less they're going to see. Mm-hmm. HBO Max is the best shit, bro. <laughs> they literally just need to stay solid. Y'all already getting fifteen dollars from us, and y- y'all stay. Y'all was fifteen dollars from the beginning too. Y'all need to stay yeah. solid at the fifteen, bro. Edgar, first reaction. I felt like they were hiding a lot. Like from that trailer, it looked exciting, but I didn't. Other than um. Other than Jane Foster in that final scene, I didn't see anything that made me say, wow. So I don't know how much they're trying to hide. I don't know what to even expect, really, like as far as like who Thor is going to be going against in this uh, movie for real. But it, it does look exciting. The, Thor's, the Thor movies have gotten better as time has gone on. The first Thor, eh. The second Thor, <laughs> trash. The third Thor, amazing. And this one has a chance to be even better than, than Ragnarok. And the funny thing about it is I seen people on Twitter trying to fight for the first two movies. I was like, come on, bro. There's no oh, way y'all can fight no. for them boring no. ass films, dog. Like, I don't even know how y'all got through those films, honestly. I don't even remember finishing the second one, to be completely honest with you. But the third one, I, the Thor got better because they stopped taking themselves so seriously. Yes. You know, in Ragnarok, they stopped taking themselves so seriously. And in this one, it's the same way. You see they with Guardians of the Galaxy, or he's with Guardians of the Galaxy. They finna be chilling in this movie. But you heard in the trailer that he's talking about, oh, his superhero days are over. Gore the God Butcher is going to be the main villain of this movie. Gore is the God Butcher. Thor is a God. That's going to be the play. Gore wants to kill all of the gods. And if Thor wants to give up his reign as being the, the God or superhero of Thor, he can pass it off to a Jane Foster. But will he be killed in the process by somebody like Gore and Jane Foster has to end up killing Gore? Will Thor die in the process in this movie? That's why I said mm. they were hiding us from the main villain. They were just showing you the, the goofy, funny shit with the Guardians of the Galaxy and shit. But they didn't really show you like how dark this movie could turn with Gore the yeah. God Butcher because his storyline, I did a lot of research on him. His storyline is fire. So I think that Marvel will do it justice. And his, like I said, storyline and what he's all about is going to be fine in this movie. So I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. I do too. And Jane Foster becoming Thor, will she be Thor like in the Avengers Thor? Like, is she going to be like actually? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I was about to say Jane Foster ain't really like that. Where I want her to be a team for real. We've never really seen her character develop much. And we, we've hardly ever seen her character at all. And we definitely never really seen her develop. So we don't have anything to go off of other than you were the original Thor's girlfriend. Now, all of a sudden, you're Thor and you're a part of the team. Like, <laughs> I, I doubt that's how it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, you can stay in Asgard for all I care about. I don't care what y'all got going on out there. Be with your people. But yeah, that should be uh, definitely an interesting movie coming up. But I think the, the the coming trailers will definitely show you more and get you more excited. But let's move on to Past the Ox. What you got for Song of the Week? Song of the Week. 
damn. I was on my uh I was on my slime too. Pull up on a kid. Yeah, young thug pull up on a kid. That's what I was on. Oh man. I've been listening to this DVSN division and Ty Dollar Sign album. The song I Believed It featuring Mac Miller. Fire track. The whole album honestly fire. They had a little combo album together, but the I Believe track with Mike Mac Miller was fire. I guess it was like an old verse or some shit like that. Because when did he pass? Mm. He passed 2019. Yeah, 2019. Either 18, 2018, or 2019. One or the other. Okay, because the album dropped in like 2021. So it was obviously some old shit. But they were all together when the song was being made. But so they probably just released that shit two years Mm -hmm. later after so many years or whatever. But yeah, that song is fire. So definitely listen to that. And let's move on to movie and show reviews. What we got coming up? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the final episode of Snowfall Season 5 just came out tonight. We're going to um, watch that and review that for y'all as soon as possible. The new episode of Moon Knight, Episode 4, just came out as well. We're going to review that for y'all. We still got Morbius. Doctor Strange 2 is coming up soon in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Power Book 4, we got to re- um, review the whole season. Uh, we still got to do um, a season review of Bel Air, everything, everywhere, all at once. We still got to um, watch and do an X. So we got a lot coming for y'all over the next month or so with all of these reviews. And going into the summer, we're going to have Jurassic Park, Thor, Love, and Thunder. It's a lot of shit coming for the summer, y'all. So be prepared. Yeah, that's it, bro. You got anything else? Nah, that's it. All right. You can handle it with the social media. You can follow us on Twitter at QE Podcast One, Instagram at QANDE Podcast. Our Gmail is QANDE Podcast at gmail.com, and our Facebook and YouTube are Q and Sign E Podcast. Yes, and subscribe to all of our podcast platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Uh, subscribe to our QE Media page that is QANDE Media.com. Our Twitter is QE Media and our Instagram is QANDE Media. And we appreciate you guys for listening. And we out. Peace.